and welcome to another episode here on the Non-Committal Podcast. My name is Kelsey and this is Kaylee. Hi. So we were uh, wanting to do an episode about cults and we were unsure really if we wanted to do a general overview, kind of just like the basis of cults or blah, 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 that type of thing. And perhaps we may still. However, we thought, what fun would it be, much like our true crime uh, section that we want to do is that we have a cult section. So we came across, or rather we're given, an article by um, CTV about an infamous, infamous island property being up for sale. In light of this infamous island property off the coast of Nanaimo, BC going up for sale, <laughs> also for a whopping $2.8 million, we thought we would actually talk about the cult that was on the property this property is located on De Corsi and Valdez or Valdez on the Gulf Islands. And the property spans several acres, possibly actually still hundreds of acres. And it houses the old dormitories for Brother 12 disciples. Apparently his quote unquote house of mystery is also still on the property as well. And the land and the buildings have largely been unchanged since the 1920s. And it seems to be attracting people to its dark history naturally i would love to go and buy that property and just be haunted by all the weird shit that happened and you know perhaps with all the people wanting to live a more rural or off the grid lifestyle the compound compound may have a bright future and as you'll find out he allegedly hid a bunch of gold all over the island so hey it's like a treasure hunt too Mm-hmm. it's like um what's that show on history channel i know i couldn't stop that thinking island, about that yeah where they still haven't found the gold but they've Spent more money than they'll ever find in gold trying to find it. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I can't Oak, think of Oak Island. Yes. Curse of Oak Island. Yes, that's right. That's totally what it reminds me of. But uh, even after his death, there's been reported sightings of him. Yeah. Um, in different places in Europe and the U.S. So he probably packed his gold and took off for sure. Well, I think there was a guy. I can't remember what his job was, but he actually made apparently this guy put all the gold into canning jars sealed them with wax and then had a man build like bo- wood boxes for them and so this guy said he built like over 130 boxes for all these jars of gold oh my gosh that's so thrilling <laughs> and apparently like much of his the money that he okay so we'll get into it but he was embezzling money plot like Spoiler alert, he was embezzling money from, from his Spoiler cult, alert. cult it's followers. A cult, it's a cult where they embezzled money. <laughs> yeah, shocking. Shocking. Um, but So he changed a lot of it to gold, but he took up uh, even more in small bills. So, <laughs> Yeah. And he took money from like fairly influential people too. Yeah, really, really wealthy like socialites from the States mostly. And Europe... He had, they said um, at his heyday, he had over 8,000 followers, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which in the 1920s is pretty impressive. It is impressive. Considering what technology would have been available for you to even. I think it said like. Acquire these people. Yeah, I think he said he even was like sending telegrams. I'm like, he's just like getting a cult following with telegrams. Yeah, he's like the OG friggin um, telemarketer with telegrams. (laughs) Yeah. Like, hey, apocalypse pending. Yeah. Like the, um, oh, what are those called? Timeshares. He's like oh, the original yeah, yeah. timeshare guy. Come on, <laughs> yeah. reserve your spot yeah. on my island before the apocalypse hits. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't guessed it already, we're talking about Brother 12 and the Aquarian Foundation. Uh, I had never heard of them, to be honest. And I guess in our research, we found out BC's what? Like the top cult? It's like a hotspot. Yeah, we are the cult capital of Canada, apparently. <laughs> I need to do a little more research. I think like a whole BC cults program would be good. Everything I read said that there's so many just abandoned colonies and um, encampments and all kinds of stuff in the woods in BC. They're just saying it's from cults. It's really just us like trapping Japanese people everywhere. Well, probably, yeah, there's some of that going on in BC too, but apparently there was a lot, like even during the Vietnam War, we know a lot of people came up to Canada to get out of um, joining the military. And apparently some of them also created these like commune colony Mm -hmm. type things too in the wilderness, but a lot of them on Vancouver Island. Was the Vietnam War in the 70s? Or the 60s, 70s? I think it was 60s. Let me do a quick Google search here. I'm just thinking because I had an uncle um, who at some point, I think probably the late 60s or seven, early 70s, mid-70s maybe, he was in a commune also. Oh, 1955 to 1975. Okay, yeah. So somewhere so, in there, he also joined a commune. So that checks out for sure. Yeah, what a, what a thrilling it didn't last long once Prospect. he he found out he had to share like underwear and socks. Apparently he bailed on the commune. <laughs> it all it always sounds like a good idea until you get down to the nitty-gritty details. And yeah. then they all start to sound a lot more like you're in prison, sharing <laughs> underwear and doing hard labor. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I guess we'll kind of give you a little overview of the cult and the cult leader. Um, Me and Kaylee both did different research, so hopefully we'll have different stuff to tell you, and hopefully it's the same. (laughs) Well, Um, who knows if it'll check out. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh, I also was going to say, apparently in that um, CTV article, it says that that home in Nanaimo, like the, the cult home, is actually called the Ark of Refuge. That is wild. The, um, I listened to one CBC radio sort of segment about it where they went to the island and they were just kind of describing what they were seeing while they were there. Yeah. And there was like all these fruit trees and there's deer and sheep and stuff. Oh. So I wonder, like they must have brought those from somewhere onto the island, especially the sheep. That's like not The sheep a maybe. I feel like the, <laughs> the deer are probably native. <laughs> but how would they end up on the island? What do you mean? There's animal life on every island. I know, but those small ones off the coast, there's so many small little islands there. Do they all have animals on them? Like oh, for sure. And stuff like that? Yeah. Oh. I bet you there was a time when there wasn't water and they managed to, like, you know, make their way to the islands. That's mm. my guess. Who knew? It seems like it, they have to be there. They, you know, I'm, like, questioning myself, but I'm, like, <laughs> I want to be, like, team, there has to be natural animals, but... <laughs> I don't I don't know now. That's a um, whole other wormhole for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to jump into that wormhole, so I'm really, really trying not to right now. Um but yeah, so some of the places that I found some research was obviously Wikipedia. The I found a McLean's article written in nineteen sixty by Howard O'Hagan and it was like written like a mystery novel. It was the best article I've ever read. <laughs> Classic, you know, like good old-fashioned writing. Ugh. 
or good old fashioned journalism. It's like, yeah, who done it style too. <laughs> yeah, like the the presentation of it is, yeah, great. Yeah, it's so good. He he even described the brother twelve as a little scraggly bearded man with pale and baleful eyes. And I was like, what the hell does baleful mean? It's like such an old word. It just means threatening, if anyone's wondering. But yeah, and then uh, that CTV news article by Todd Coyne, and then the CBC news. Um, article. I don't know. There was no author listed, but that's the one uh, Kaylee was talking about of the documentary, The Dream of Brother 12 by Jen Moss. I didn't actually listen to all of it, but yeah, those are my, our sources. I don't know. Do you have any others? Truthfully, I don't think so. And then there's, that's just still the CTV news article on the property being for sale. Yeah, no, that was, those are sort of my references too. And then it just said that he started out as a yeah poor man in England. Yeah, I heard and, or I read like so. His name is Edward Arthur Wilson. He was from Birmingham. Uh, he's a retired sea captain, and then I guess he was a self-described mystic, claiming to have been visited by angels as a kid. Believed two things: that he had been a pharaoh in a past life, and then also that he was a reincarnated Egyptian god, Osiris. Just right? super, super logical stuff, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then I was reading, too, like, he would, I can't remember, because so then he had visited Canada around 1905 or some shit. But then he was back in England, and he actually began building his following in Southampton in England. So he started his following in England. He had followers already across the way, but he based his kind of well he was really a strong believer in the theosophical society so that's the majority of his beliefs came from and then he much like most cult leaders branched off of these like really intense religions to create his own but yeah I read in one that he was I think it was in England and this is I think how he kind of first established himself as a leader was that he went like had a group of people listening to him talk and then he was like oh I'm a channel like and then the the Aquarius the planet is where he said is where this all came from and so there was 11 other brothers that's why he's brother 12 he's the only brother on land or on earth the others are floating out in space by the planet Aquarius and he's like oh they're coming to me they want to talk to me and so he went behind a black sheet apparently was channeling them and then when he came back was like i'm brother 12 and this is blah 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 but that got me to thinking like all these claims of his are like so relevant today there's so many people who channel like the pleiadians like we had talked about on the alien episode or they channel yeah, demi lovato it all it all goes together yeah and then they channel like other spirits or uh ascended masters like someone might channel jesus or you know What's that lady's name? Anyway, there was like a goddess that another lady was channeling. And it just was like, was he actually crazy, like a religious crazy man? Or like, is he just a modern day mystic who took it a little too extreme? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they like. From all accounts, in the beginning, he was trying to do good things, which is like every cult leader and every... Buddy whose power goes to the head. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So he was, you know, had good intentions in the beginning. And then as the money started pouring in and he realized how hard it was, especially in the winter (laughs) and inhospitable, it can be a Vancouver Island. Um, I think the reality hit him and he started to get, yeah, greedy and his um, sort of moral compass changed, it sounds like. But yeah, so, so strange to think that in those days he was able to talk so many people out of a lot of money especially in Europe, to, to invest in islands farther away from them. Yeah. And in America, like, there was one lady that they named Mary Connell, and she was in North Carolina. And apparently, I don't know how he got a hold of her, but she was like, hey, I think she called him and was like, hey, I'll give you $50,000, blah, 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 which... Down the line, she clarified, was $52,850 or something ridiculous. But anyway, so then he went to Toronto to meet her, I believe. They had their chat. She gave him the money. No strings attached. Just gives this guy in the 20s $50,000. He hits the train back to his little island he had set up. This is after he'd already established, you know, his cult on the island. She just goes back to North Carolina to wrap up business to meet him back. And eventually I read that she had given him over $500,000 in 1920s money. Yeah, which is insane. And even like down the road when like his followers became pretty litigious and he was in court and stuff, they called her as a witness and she still defended him and gave him more money later. It was wild. Oh, yeah. Well, they Um, said when he took off, like when he bailed out of his own cult and was running because so many people were going after him for their money back. Yeah. He had estimated at that time over half a million dollars, which they said now in today's money, like he had over $6 million, which is crazy. How? I don't know. He's just charismatic. How do any of them do it? He's charismatic, smooth with the ladies. A scraggly bearded man with pale threatening eyes is charming maybe, everyone out of their money yeah maybe that was towards the end because the this cbc radio thing um talked to one of the guys who used to be one of his followers and then became disillusioned or whatever i can't remember the guy's name but he was talking about how he was always really good with the ladies and there was a lot of um men in the colony that were quite upset with him because he would like flirt and swindle their wives and yeah yeah actually that's so then I guess when he was leaving Toronto I think this is the same trip he had this like fifty thousand dollars from Mary Connell he's on the train back to Vancouver ultimately back to the island and he meets a woman who's on the train I think all I can remember is her last name was Baumgartner Baumgartner Ugh, can't say it right now but anyway Mrs. Baumgartner and she was married to like a a wealthy lawyer somewhere in the States. And they, I think were meeting in Vancouver, her husband and her. And he says, hi, I am the reincarnated Osiris and you are my soulmate Isis. And we together need to go to my commune and have a son like Horus, like the, 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 in the mythology, they came together to have Horus, I believe Egyptian mythology. And Mm. she's like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go do it. And then like sends a telegram to her husband to say that's what she's doing. The original, yeah. the original text breakup. 
Yeah. But Which like, imagine just so like, wild. Yeah. Buying into that guy. Like, well, and imagine like you're, I think she was from New York city. So you're like somewhat affluent living in New York city. The one um, thing I listened to said that she'd had some weird, I don't know if they were fantasies or there was something she had in her head about, you know, ending up with an Egyptian man. <laughs> so I feel like that was just the perfect storm of she had her own kind of weird background narrative or this feeling that this was going to happen to her. Yeah. And then she met that guy and she got swindled. Next by thing. The word, swindled. Yeah. Swindled by that <laughs> creepy old man. <laughs> and the next thing she knows, she's like living in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Probably freezing her ass off. No wonder she had a meltdown. Yeah. They yeah, about I, read, these- I read, yeah, that they didn't have a, Isis was not, or um, Horus or whatever they called him, was not born. She actually had a miscarriage and went insane. And then Mary Connell had to take care of her for a little while before sending her to a mental institution. Oh, the article I read said that um, she got there and was living in this cabin and had like nothing. And he would come and, yeah, she had the miscarriage. And then he was like, well, I'm done with you now. And just sent her back to the U.S. Oh, well, they probably, he probably like disguised it as a, you know, women are hysterical back then. So. Well, yeah, exactly. Oh, this hysterical woman. The miscarriage just (laughs) made her lose her mind. Meanwhile, it's like the isolation and hard living that probably made her crazy. Yeah. I also read, though, that his, like, disciples, they weren't allowed in his personal house, which is, like, the house of mystery or whatever. But then he brought this woman back from Toronto with him and let her cross, like, into his house. And they were just, like, pissed that they were in this, like, crusty old dormitory. Yeah. They said as things progressed and he got more and more paranoid and his disciples got more and more, you know, frustrated by their slave labor, that he built a fence around his property, his house on the island. <laughs> oh my God. Like he was clearly starting to lose it. Yeah. I was going to say he did it again. He found, I think possibly one of the other guy's wives and they just called her Madam Z in the end, but he fell in love with another woman who he allowed into the house of mystery. And that's ultimately the woman he ran off with, but. Mm-hmm. She another- apparently was very cruel. And was like, was like whipping people to make sure they did the work and said that my word is his word. So you have to do what I say. And she was like his right hand man, making sure all the disciples were doing all the hard farm work and everything like that. Yeah. 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 So I heard or read that he, with all the embezzling and like I mentioned, they were suing him or whatever the form of suing was in the twenties and his, like the cult was legally dissolved in 1929 or the Aquarian foundation was dissolved, but he still had like a bunch of loyal followers, members who remained loyal to him plus new followers, which is wild. And they must've still stayed on the property. So I don't know how that like happened. And I had read that. um, Yeah. Just as you had mentioned, he would give all the followers like really intense tasks. Of course they're like wealthy, wealthy people from America, which, are really were described as widows and more elderly people. So his followers were a lot of elderly people he likely took advantage of. And then he's forcing them to do all this hard manual labor from sunset to sundown, apparently. And 
Actually, I also read that he bought a tractor to do the the landscaping around his own house, like the, probably after he had fenced it in, wouldn't let any of the followers use it. And they had to command the land, farm the land with hand tools. So he's making these elderly people like carry giant boulders down to like the shoreline. Mm-hmm. And that was part of their <laughs> spiritual, like to prove yeah. their spiritual whatever. Yeah, like their um, tests, tests of their ability to advance spiritually. But then, so then after all of that, apparently, then that group eventually revolted because, like you mentioned, he just became super paranoid. He was, like, moving all his embezzled money into jars and hiding them. And apparently he was moving them back and forth from the main Vancouver Island to the Gulf Islands where the property was back and forth and like hiding it because he thought maybe people were like figuring out where he had it so he had to keep moving the treasure essentially yeah one thing I said like he kept sending certain disciples to Nanaimo to change money into gold coins yeah so then he got more and more paranoid that people on the mainland would come for his money so then he started like buying weapons and (laughs) having his disciples like guard the guard the shores of the island and yeah I read that too that if hypothetically you had like you know driven your little or sailed your sailboat over to his island it was actually manned by armed guards yeah which is crazy and there's like even one guy was like a former secret service guy from the states he even like managed to swindle like a secret service person who I in my mind feel should be rather intelligent and not vulnerable to like crazy religious cult i guess anyone's vulnerable money yeah yeah money might have paid him true enough to say um but then i read one account of um one of the followers as he as his like spiritual test was locked in a cellar and he managed to escape apparently he was like being starved or whatever was going on for him to be locked in the cellar escaped got to the mainland or to the island to Nanaimo I think it might have been the mainland to be honest told like the provincial police which I read that too this, and I was like this, what this is my BC provincial police <laughs> yeah either I'm ignorant or whoever was writing that is ignorant but I didn't actually look into the history of the RCMP or like British Columbia policing, because I know Vancouver has like its own police. The RCMP are in many of the other lower mainland cities, but some of them have their own like VPD. So I don't know if it was like an early form of the VPD when there wasn't a lot of outlying towns or cities, but either way, and again, like I said, I don't know the history of the RCMP if they... That's true. In 1920, who knows? It could have been provincial police... Yeah, instead but instead of instead of the Canadian Yeah. But either way, I guess they didn't really care that he had been locked in a cellar in this like crazy cult. He had explained everything and they didn't apparently seem too interested and left him be. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine? No. I can't imagine any of it. Like imagine what life was like. And it's like he obviously wasn't a strong leader. He kind of deteriorated rather quickly because, like, Jonestown and Nexium, like, all those other cults, I know they lasted way longer. More modern, but they certainly, yeah, had a longer lifespan than this guy's, like, rapid descent yeah. into crazy. Well, I think it also had to do with, um, 
like the living conditions of all of his disciples too. Like they said, it was just like, like in the winter, there's no insulation in their cabins and everything was just mud and wet. I mean, it's the 1920s too, and you're living on a remote island. I'm not sure what these people expected. Yeah, no way to get off of the island. It's not like there was a ferry to these islands. So if you wanted to leave, you were like having to hitchhike with a boat going by and hope that your armed guards on the island don't (laughs) stop you. Well, I guess apparently they did have a sailboat and eventually he bought himself a tugboat. Naturally. (laughs) But then... Yeah, like I'd said, they the, the the second group of followers started to revolt, and then he flipped out and like started destroying all of the like his farming equipment, the sailboat, his properties, some of the buildings went fuck went just like nuts. And then him and Madame Z escaped because they stole the tugboat, and a, I I read. Um, I don't know where they initially fled to, but ended up in Europe. And then that's like you had mentioned, he had allegedly died, which was in Switzerland around 1934. But then they said on his death certificate was signed by one of his cult members. So like, of course, he could possibly have faked his death. And that's why people say there's still sightings of, well, not still. That was a long time ago. but Yeah, but... A while ago, quite a while ago, there was still sightings because yeah. people said that he was still meeting with his lawyer in San Francisco, too. Yeah, and was I was reading wild. that the, the eyewitness who had seen him was the lawyer's son or something. <laughs> the lawyer's son narked on him. Yeah. I'm curious to, like, the timeline of some of the other attempted cults, especially in Vancouver Island. Because I feel like as time has gone on, it would be much easier to have a sustainable commune-style living yeah. going on there than it would have been, especially 1920. Like, Well, that's why I'm like wondering who's going to buy it. Who's going to buy it? Because I think we are moving toward, again, that same kind of like, you know, history always repeats itself. And people are wanting that rural, off-the-grid life again. I wouldn't be shocked if there's like a secret cult leader doing his uprising right now who eventually maybe he'll buy that and we'll have another cult thrilling i think cults have to be more sneaky nowadays though like you can't just be obviously abusive right out the gate (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah but i mean uh what was that thing that tom cruise was part of there's still very much scientology yeah isn't that Yeah, but they yeah well i mean that's debatable (laughs) <laughs> i think i, mean, I think they I like, like to this... believe it's more of a religion than a cult but i you know lisa i think they all lisa, do that's what they all say lisa reimer or whatever well how do you say her name lisa she escaped you know oh, and she she made a whole yeah, yeah. show about it yeah yeah i forgot what how do you I believe say i believe she she for sure believes it's a cult and i think that's the whole basis of her tv show but even like nexium they are you know preying on women's empowerment movement so the whole women's empowerment movement so they created all these like courses let's say like in-person courses talking workshops for women who want to be more confident or want to you know heal the inner child wound or heal the not good enough wound and so they like create these workshops and these women feel finally a part of something amazing they feel good they feel more confident 
They have all these other women that are in the group. They're feeling a community, companionship, and empowered. And then you move up in the workshops to different levels. And then you realize at the top, it's a fucking cult. And ultimately, there's so much abuse at the top end of stuff. And they lure you in, of course, with your life savings because... You know, nothing nothing is worth it if it doesn't cost you $50,000, basically. And then, oh, it's crazy. And then they, you know, this is from one documentary I watched on the Nexium cult. But, yeah, they, they're they like, oh, we pick you for this secret group that's at the top, you know, senior level of this, this group. And this leader, like, oh, you get to be closer to whoever this guy is. And, he, you know, he's this fantastic founder of this group this woman empowerment movement and then they're like oh but also secretly we're gonna sexually abuse you starve you Mm -hmm. to death physically hurt you emotionally like absolutely deprive you of sleep and it's crazy so they have to be way more sneaky (laughs) well i feel like they still they're still preying on vulnerable people Oh, hundred percent. Because they're yeah, that, they're exactly. The workshop like, just gives them a gives them a way to test out who's going to be more susceptible to their influence. Yeah, and like these women who have have suffered traumas in their life, and perhaps that's why they're a little bit, you know, less confident or have certain wounds and obviously trauma. They're they're completely preying on that type of person, and that's a vulnerable person too. Yeah, there's even a men's side of that cult too. Like it's not just preying on women, but whew, that's a different one we should dive into another time. But I just feel like the way that our pal Edward over here managed to to do it was impressive, but short-lived compared to yeah. the success of other cult leaders. <laughs> <laughs> and nowadays, yeah, I just think you have to be sneakier. Yeah, and I wonder much sneakier and. A lot of them are hiding behind like an actual business plan. It's less yeah. scraggly old man talking yeah. to moving into the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I just wonder, you know, in terms of like the mind frame of the cult leader, I don't think that they set out to create a cult. I think they legitimately believe they are like from God and there's some kind of like religious prophet and it just evolves. It just evolves because they're mad in their minds. Like... Well, yeah, there's a fine line, I think, between crazy and religion. Sometimes, yeah. And especially in those situations. If it is a spiritual awakening, religious, that really, that really devoted religious, like that really, I'm not talking your standard Christian who believes in God. I'm not talking about that whatsoever. I'm talking about like the other end of the spectrum where, you know, people take it just that extra bit too far is like... There's like a real fine line. Yeah, the, the manic worship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is, yeah, not, never a good thing. Always yeah. leads to bad things. Yeah, I, I am not against standard religion or standard worship at all. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking it's the, the extremist. extremist. Yeah. And yeah, they all think they're doing what, like something good. What's yeah, the best? They, there's no way they're going in as like, I'm going to be a cult leader. I don't think you could get away with it if you... We're thinking that way. Do you think? Like, you have to fully believe in. Yeah, I don't think you'd be able to sell it to other people as easy. Your energy has to be right. You have to fully believe that you're in this for a higher purpose or whatever in order to talk everybody else into following you. I just, yeah, that kind of charisma. 
The $6 million embezzlement charisma is <laughs> <laughs> something to be harnessed for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that charisma could be harnessed for for actual good. For actual good and not just for... And maybe it is somewhere being harnessed that we just don't know about because it's not a cult. Are there good cults? Like, is there mm. something in the definition of a cult that makes it a inherently negative thing? It definitely has a negative connotation. I wonder what the standard... Like, like is there certain... Um, criteria it has to meet to be called a cult it is a social group that is defined by its unusual religious spiritual or philosophical beliefs or by its common interest in a particular personality object or goal that's from wikipedia so by that definition i mean there's a lot of they could be good good cults then eh yeah i think so let's google are there good cults well, the first thing to pop up is well-known cults in America, which is uh, not good English, so I'm not going to read that one. If you can't spell stuff right in your headline. That's not a good sign. Oh, there's how to identify a cult. Six tips from an expert. CBS. Let's That's see helpful. Here. Let's see here. That's <laughs> just anonymous. Let's see. Yeah. Anonymous cult escapist. When there's been, like, even especially in the U.S., I think there's more publicized cults and or commune type things. Like River Phoenix, his family was living as part of a cult. Oh, really? Yeah. Sure. Don't think I knew that. I don't think this is a good article. It just is, like, talking about the Hamilton Byrne. Yeah, Hamilton Byrne cult. Also a self-appointed mystic used LSD to convince followers she was the female reincarnation of Jesus Christ. There's a wiki how on how to leave a cult. She had 500 followers and collected 28 children during the cult's height. Some children were the offspring of cult members. Some were newborns who un, whose unwed mothers believed they were going to a good home. Only a few were stolen. <laughs> Uh, so it talks about this cult and not the six six uh, ways to identify the cult. Oh, here's several factors that constitute a cult. Hmm. Any kind of pressure, probably the single most important advice, any kind of pressure to make a quick decision about becoming involved with any intensive activity of the organization. Be wary of any... Okay, these are the six tips. Be wary of any leader who proclaims him or herself as having special powers or divinity. The group is closed, uh, so there may be outside followers, but there's an inner circle that follows the leader without question and maintains a tremendous amount of secrecy. The group uses deceptive means to recruit new members and once recruited will subject it to an organized program of thought or reform, what most people refer to as brainwashing. The typically cults also exploit their members mostly financially. Within the group, they'll exploit members financially, psychologically, emotionally, and often sexually. And a very important aspect of the cult is the idea that if you leave the cult, horrible things will happen to you. People outside of the cult are potential members, so no, they're not looking upon, they're not looked upon as negatively as people inside the cult who will then leave the cult. And this was actually uh, written by 48 Hours producer Paul LaRosa. So there's a whole episode on cults. But um, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, I guess... 
like uh, my favorite murder where they're like, call your dad, you're in a cult or something. So they try to cut you off from your family and friends. That makes sense. Yeah, isolate you so that you're more vulnerable. Yeah. Exploitation, threats of, yeah, the negativity if you leave or they just like find any way to keep you there, get you into it deceptively. I guess that's the tricky part. You don't know you're getting deceived until you're already in. I guess that makes anyone vulnerable, really. They just need to prey upon whatever thing you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Yikes. So, I think by those criteria, I don't think that there is a possibility of a good cult. No. No, the deception and the... It's interesting that they say somebody who's um, claiming extraordinary powers, because that was also in that Brother 12. Like, a lot of the followers that didn't take him to court said that he had magical powers and was going to curse them and all this stuff. Yeah, I. Um, that reminds me, one of... The the one where uh, Mary Connell was the witness in the, the lawsuit. I believe the guy's last name might have been England, or that may have been the guy who made the boxes. I'm getting a little confused. However, I guess during court, everyone, like, I wonder if he poisoned people or something, because there was reports of people not feeling good or feeling like they're going to pass out or they were getting really sick. And then everyone thought that he had created or sent in black magic to um, get rid of whoever was suing him, essentially. And they apparently to get rid of the black magic, they just opened the windows. But yeah, hmm. so they also thought the the followers thought he was capable of black magic, which I think kept many of them from leaving. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. One of the um, historians they were talking to in that CBC radio segment said that a lot of the people who were, you know, feeling effects might have just been people who were highly anxious. Uh, and yep. that made them easier for him to prey on to begin with. Yeah. And then when he's threatening all the stuff because they're highly anxious, they're then experiencing the things he's threatening and thinking that it's magic. Yep. So I thought that was kind of an interesting aspect of cult leadership too in your, you know, disciple selection. Yeah. Yeah. Not only must they be vulnerable, but if they're, you know, highly anxious or impressionable, that also makes them a pretty decent target. Yeah, totally, totally. I'm really, I'm really um, thrilled to follow the story, though, and see who buys the property. Yeah, me too. I wonder, I wonder who's going to buy it. I know the realtor was saying, like, he thinks any um, development on it would kind of be a shame. So he hopes that somebody who's more interested in its history will buy it you know somebody with just a cool 2.8 million hanging around yeah but that's like pennies for anyone in vancouver that's cheap you'd have this whole like island basically that's true acres and acres like well who, who wouldn't buy it come on man someone out there buy it if you can buy a tiny ass condo in vancouver for three million dollars you can buy this sick cult property yeah comes with sheep Fruit trees and deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, that reminds me. I think that article also about the the property for sale was like saying there's like, yeah, fruit trees and orchard, like a full orchard style. Like you could you could live happily. Hey, you could even like maybe make wine or some shit. Yeah, there you go. You could like watch for orcas. Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> like what a nice, what a nice area for sure. 
I think, uh, and that area is pretty, um, has been fairly popular for all of this sort of more hippie free love commune type stuff, like the whole Sunshine Coast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like they could also capitalize on it, like fix up the buildings, have a little spectacle, you know, sell your fruit trees. If you do make wine, you could have like wine tasting and cults. Yeah, or cider, apple cider. Cider and cult. Cult cider. Cider cult. Cider cult. Apparently there was a, I don't know if it was a TV series or a movie or something made about that cult to try to um, increase tourism to that area at one point. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm curious to try to find that and see, see what that was all about. For those who are interested, the CBC radio um, segment also had clips of uh, Brother 12's, some of his sermons and stuff. Those creep me out. I hate yeah. listening to old school, like hyper. They all sound sermons. so scary. They all they sound do. so scary. They really do. We'll put them in our link in our bio on Instagram. There will be links and links and links. Yeah, for all the resources. Yeah. And I guess other than that, just stay tuned for next week. We'll have something else for you. Yeah, we may set Not- up some like witchy business. Possibly. Something in a culture. Excellent. And that's it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Non-Committal Podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're enjoying our episodes, head over and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. As always, we love to hear your suggestions. And if you have questions or just want to catch our episodes somewhere else, head to our website, thenoncommittalpodcast.ca. And don't forget to keep up to date on all of our happenings by following us on Instagram at the Non Committal Podcast. <laughs>